Welcome to the favorites, the podcast, part of the Action Network. I am Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. We are live on YouTube. Send in your questions. We are live on AMP. Send in your questions. Matt Mitchell will be monitoring. We are presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. I am joined as I am for every episode by my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, Simon Hunter. Hello, Simon. Aloha, Chad. How you doing, brother? Dude. Finals are over. We still got one game left. Well, we think we got one game left. Could be more in the Stanley Cup. Later on in the show, Mike Leboff, who was dressed for the occasion, he's going to come on. He's going to talk about uh, the brouhaha uh, at the end of game four in the Stanley Cup. We're going to preview game five. We're going to talk about some NHL stuff. We're also going to go to Jason Sobel, who is live on the scene in Los Angeles for the U.S. Open back in L.A. for the first time in 75 years. Uh, I want to remind you, Simon, and everybody else. I start doing my golf handicapping the week of the majors. And my handicapping consists of listen to Sobel on links and locks, read Sobel, read Matt Vincenzi, read Josh Perry. I put together a list based on all their intel. I go into my majors golf pool with a variety of other people here at Action Network. I have won four of the past six majors pools just by doing that. No, the golf guys are red hot. I told you, I, I literally, this offseason, I've made more money probably than I did during the NFL season, just betting golf, NASCAR, and darts. I don't know what's happening, Chad, but it's all working out right now. Well, you know what? Leboff is going to come on in a little bit. We should have Leboff talk a little bit about the darts because he did cover the the darts, also presented by Bet365 uh, at MSG this year. And, and no one loves the darts Better than Leboff. Before we get to Sobel, I've mentioned Bet365 about 17 times so far. But you know what? We're proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer. Bet $1 on any game and get $200 in bonus bets. And Bet365 is now live in Iowa. So for new users in the Hawkeye State, you can get an even bigger sign-up offer. Bet $1 and get $365 in bonus bets. That's 365 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, you guys have heard us talk about game time in just about every episode. They're the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. I love game time. Honestly, I use it all the time. And if you're looking to get out to a pro or college game this week or even a concert, game time has amazing last minute deals on tickets to all of these. I'm actually going to open game time right now from my house here in Connecticut. Guess what I could do? I could get in to see the New York Mets tonight, 61 bucks on a beautiful, beautiful June night here in the Northeast. I can see the New York Liberty, 21 bucks, WNBA, Super team, no matter what event you want to see, no matter where you live, download the Game Time app, get out, have some fun this week. You deserve it. And you can redeem code favorites 
for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, just download the app and our code favorites for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. Jason Sobel, Links and Locks podcast, Action Network senior writer on the scene in Los Angeles. Sobel, before we get to the US Open, I know people want to get some, some action down. Last week, shockwave news. The uh, PIF, which owns and operates Live, merges with the PGA. There have been so many interesting TikTok stories the past week about how this whole thing came together. The players involved, Jimmy Dunn, a board member at PGA, Michael Klein, part of the PGA contingent, Jay Monahan, flying around the world eating breakfast at a hotel in Venice, hoping he doesn't get recognized to meet with the head of PIF to close this deal. Give me the three takeaways from the deal-making that have been most interesting to you. I hope you meant, first of all, Chad, that these are TikTok stories this is in the timeline of what's going on, not that we all have to get on TikTok to follow these stories, because I, that might be the worst thing to happen of this entire merger that's interchangeable. going on in professional golf. Interchangeable. Okay. Right. This morning, okay. I was uh, having breakfast with my wife, and my wife was always like saying to me, you don't want to banter, but I like banter. Like I, She wants to chit-chat sometimes. And so I've realized that when I want to banter, it's like, in the morning, first thing, or at night, like before we're going to bed, I'm unloading on, you know, silly things from the day. But those are the only two times she actually is on her phone during the day. She's very busy all day. And so she never wants to talk to me then. And she looks at me and she goes, look, we're not banter compatible. Bear in mind, next wow. week, we're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. She's like, we're just not banter compatible. You're on TikTok. The whole freaking day. I know you're on TikTok all day. Every chance you get, you're going to go on TikTok between a meeting or a call or whatever. I'm not. So this is my time. So I don't want to talk. So if we can get on TikTok and find the TikTok about the live PGA deal, fantastic. Instead, I've got Jason Sobel. Yeah, well, I am not doing the TikTok. If that if that's what's coming out of this merger, then I'm, I'm moving on. But uh, <laughs> three takeaways from... Three takeaways from uh, what we've seen over the past week. First of all, uh, more questions than answers still, even a week later. Um, I, I still have plenty of questions as to what's going on. Look, I got into this business 20 years ago covering the PGA Tour because, Chad, I am qualified to watch other people play golf and then afterwards go, uh, so look like you played pretty good, huh? And, and they say, Yes, I played well, and I go, okay, cool, and I write something down about it, and that's essentially what I'm qualified to do. It's not very good. Um, that said, once we start getting into antitrust lawsuits and the Department of Justice and subpoenas and senators looking into things, I'm like, like way over my head. But I know that my boss is going to want me looking into all this stuff, so I've got to get much smarter about what's going on very, very quickly or else I'm going to uh, fall behind. So there's a lot of that stuff Still lingering. I still think that a lot of this was precipitated by the fact that there was litigation both sides. There was going to be a discovery phase. The PGA Tour looked at that discovery phase and said, uh, we've got some things that we really don't want getting out there. And the public investment funds that, you know, come to think of it, we actually have a couple of skeletons in the closet as well. We may not want those things getting out publicly either. 
hey, why don't we start talking and see if we can come to an agreement and we can all figure out a way to move forward in this game of golf. Uh, the other thing I can tell you, I don't know how many takeaways this is so far. I'm not counting, but uh, two. in case that's you thought two. golf was best two. Okay, good. I got one more. Here, here's a takeaway from everything we've learned. In case you didn't know this, in case you thought well, golf is all about, it's a game of honor and golf is about integrity and golf is about, you know, the professional level. It's about, you know, who plays the best and who wins. I, I've got news for you guys. Golf, much like business, much like life, much like everything we've ever known is all about the Benjamins. It's about the dollars. It's about money, money, money. It's about the reals, uh, so to speak, because this is what it's all about. This is what is precipitating everything. I've heard uh, guesstimations that the PGA Tour could double, triple, quadruple in valuation with this new entity that's been formed. And again, it's funny, Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, and the uh, congratulations to, to Jay, the uh, new CEO of whatever this for-profit entity is going to be. He was approved by the board. The board, of course, is uh, includes himself, Yasser Al-Ramayan, who did the deal for PIF, and Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley, who are on the PGA Tour policy board, who also put themselves on this board and then hired Jay Monahan. So that's how that happened. But uh, Jay Monahan has said over the past week, I don't know why everyone's calling it a merger. It is not a merger. Well, it's probably because the press release that was sent out to the media on Tuesday at 10 a.m. last week said PGA Tour, DP World Tour and Public Investment Fund merge commercial operations. Sorry, I don't know where we got merger from. It was only in your press release. So, again, that leads to uh, maybe my last takeaway. I don't know how many of this is. Maybe this is my fourth takeaway out of three. But uh, the fourth takeaway is. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to report on this story. I'm not sure how anyone's supposed to know what's going on. If the parties involved themselves have absolutely no clue right now either. They're saying don't call it a merger when they're sending out press releases, literally calling it a merger. They're still in the dark. We're certainly in the dark. Hey, Sobel, as you've seen players come in, have you spoken to guys? I know it's still early there. What is sort of the reacts you're getting now that we're a week later and a lot of the hurt feelings and anger starts to subside as they reckon with reality. The PGA Tour players are very, very angry at Jay Monahan. There was a player meeting last week at the RBC Canadian Open where a large majority were not just mad at Jay, but calling for his resignation. They were that mad. Now, I tend to believe that uh, I get it. Like for, for the year and a half, Monahan and others with the PGA Tour asked them to be loyal. They preached loyalty, they preached devotion, they preached integrity, and then all of a sudden Jay just did the exact opposite of everything he'd said they should do, and he went behind their backs, didn't tell them this was going to happen, and all of a sudden makes a deal and tries to go back to them and says, well, you know, uh, things have changed. Um, I, I think it's uh, very hypocritical of him. In fact, Jay Monahan has said over the past week, Hey, I know you can call me a hypocrite. A lot of people in response have said, yep, sure can. Definitely going to do that. And so I, I think he understands the situation that he has put himself in. But again, this was about money. It was about the discovery phase of the litigation. This was about trying to save yourself uh, as opposed to, uh, I, I don't know if it was ever going to go under, but there were signs that the PGA Tour was going to be hurting. Look, they had to infuse a lot more money into these elevated designated events that they've uh, started playing this year, uh, essentially in retaliation to live. Basically, how can we keep our best players? Well, we'll pay them a lot more for playing in these big events. 
Well, that money wasn't coming from the sponsors. That was coming from reserves. Once you start burning up all the money in reserves, there's not a whole lot left. And so they needed money. And this was the easiest way for them to get money was to partner with him. As for what the players are saying now, uh, I've had players on both sides, PGA Tour players and players with Live Golf, who are texting me going, hey, what do you know? What can you tell us? And I'm like, I don't know. I was going to ask you the same thing. It really is. I mean, I, I hate coming on shows like this one where I'm like, I don't know a whole lot. And anything we know is just, or we think we know is just speculation. But quite honestly, that's the case. And if Jay Monahan, if Yasser El Ramayan, if Jimmy Dunn were sitting right next to me right now, and we had them and we we're asking them questions, a lot of the questions, I don't think they could answer right now either, because I don't think they have a great plan for what this is going to be three, six, 12 months from now. U.S. Open is back in L.A. First time in 75 years. I feel like whenever there is an event in L.A. that is a, ma a major event, it feels a little more special. Like there's something a little more glamorous. It felt that way for the Super Bowl. It's felt that way for NBA Finals. Are you feeling that right now back in L.A.? I am, Chad. And it's not just in L.A. This place, if you haven't seen yet, we are... Like, it's as if they took Central Park in the middle of New York City, carved out a major championship golf course in the middle of it, and played golf in the middle of the city. I mean, we are literally in the foothills of Beverly Hills. The Beverly Hilton, uh, one of the most famous hotels in the city, is hovering over the driving range right outside of where I'm sitting right now. I mean, we are like smack dab in the city, Hollywood just down the street. So this isn't just, well, it's in L.A., but L.A. is a big place. And it's kind of away from anything that uh, would be a touristy attraction or anything like that. This is right in the middle of the city. I'm telling you, I just went for a walk around this golf course a little while ago. This place is special. I really hope it shows out on TV because in person you walk around, you're like, man, this place is cool. It's to an extent, the exact opposite. We saw last month at Oak Hill for the PGA championship. I walked around Oak Hill and I said, man, this course is really, really difficult. It's immaculate. It's in great shape for a major championship. And me as a seven handicap, I want absolutely no part of this because I would lose my mind. I would be in I, I would be insane trying to play this golf course because it's just way too hard. I walk around this place here, LACC, and I go, it's really hard, but man, it looks fun. I would love to go play this golf course. I don't know if they'd let me play because I, I usually wear shorts and I might have some music playing and I might take my phone out at times and they don't let you do any of those things here. Um, so I, I don't know I'd quite fit in, but I'm telling you guys, this is a really, really cool spot. It's rustic. It's natural. There's nothing artificial looking. A lot of times we watch a major championship on TV and from the blue dye that they put in the water to, you know, making the grass a little greener than it was before that it all just looks a little unnatural. This place is as natural as it comes. And I'm really excited about this week. Again, it's another chance to at least focus on golf inside the ropes as opposed to everything else that's going on in the professional golf world right now. Now, could you give us a little course preview? Is there a, a, a golfer you think this is going to really cater to? Because it's such a unique place, like the way you're talking about it. That, I feel like that's going to give an edge to certain type of golfers. Is there anything that pops out to you about this golf course and you know previewing it for what players it could be advantaged to? Yeah, so Simon, we usually look at specific metrics where uh, we might go, hey, it's a U.S. Open. You've got to keep it in the fairway. And Hey, look, that's not a bad thing. It's better to be in the fairway than in the rough. And boy, you've got to, 
be a good ball striker. You want to hit it on the greens. Well, yeah, sure. Better to be on the greens than in the rough around the greens. So sure, those those are all a given, but there's not one of those metrics where I look at. I would say 70 to 75% of PGA Tour events, uh, the number one metric I'm looking at is strokes gained approach shots, where I'm looking for that second shot into the greens, how players have been uh, hitting their irons lately going into that one. I would say about 15 to 20% of the events, I'm looking at off the tee numbers like, hey, if you can set yourself up with some long straight drives, 330 in the fairway, you're going to be in really good shape to uh, to make some birdies on this golf course. There, I'd say 5 to 10% uh, might become uh, essentially birdie fest where, hey, the best putter is going to win. Everyone's going to hit the fairway. Everyone's going to hit a green regulation on these uh, big, wide resort golf courses. So whoever putts best wins. We're looking at putting stats. I'm not sure that I've ever looked at a golf course where I look at strokes gained around the greens as maybe the most important metric this week. And uh, I think you're just going to have to get up and down from everywhere. And it's not going to be a very low scoring golf tournament. I think something it, certainly in the single digits under par, maybe even four or five under par is going to win this golf tournament. And so what I extrapolate from that is, it's all about creativity this week. I look at LACC as a palette. I want the guys who are artistic in nature. I don't want the players who are essentially paint by number, who just kind of plod their way one spot to the next and hit these stock shots. There are no stock shots on this golf course. What the USGA is trying to do, guys, they will change up the yardage uh, on different holes every day. So there's a get it's getting a lot of social media play. The 11th hole playing 290 yards is a par three. Now they're going to move it up and play at 220 one day, move it back to 260, back to 290. They're going to make the players think all the time. What they don't want is a player who grabs his nine iron as he's walking down the fairway. Like, I, I got this standard nine iron in, no big deal. They want the players. Uh, fussing over every single shot, trying to figure out. It's as much a mental exercise as it is a physical and technical exercise. For all of those reasons, I want the players who are the most artistic in nature, who are the most creative, and that leads to two on the top of my list. I've got Cameron Smith, who's been playing on Live Golf, but we saw him win last year at the Open Championship. He was second in strokes gain putting last month at Oak Hill for the PGA Championship. And then, of course, Jordan Spieth, who is the game's preeminent magician right now, who can take a, a double bogey and turn it into a par at a moment's notice. And we've seen him do it so many times over the years. So I'm taking those kind of players. If you guys don't want to listen to me, we had a segment on the radio yesterday. I was with my friend Gary Williams, who was co-hosting my show, Hitting the Green on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio with me. And I said, all right, let's write down our our top five most creative artistic players and guys that we think could play well. We had four of the five same names. We both had Cameron Smith, Jordan Spieth at the top of our list. We each had Justin Thomas and Scotty Scheffler. He had Patrick Reed, who I do like a lot this week. I had Ricky Fowler rounding it out, but uh, there's no real mysteries here. There's no real, uh, you know, difference of opinion in who the most artistic players are. So if indeed the course plays to creativity, those are the guys we want to look at. So you mentioned the mental part of it. It's going to be a jigsaw puzzle. It's going to be the kind of course where the USGA is trying to get people to have to think about every shot. Who does, uh, whose strengths does that play to? Yeah. So again, I'm looking at Cameron Smith. I'm looking at Jordan Spieth. If we want to go further down the list, 
Patrick Reed is a player who we've seen win major championships in the past. He's a, a past Masters champion, really good around the greens. And so uh, he's at 80 to 1. All the live players, Chad, it's very interesting. Even though Brooks Kepka won last month, other than Brooks himself, all the live players are still a few points undervalued in the marketplace, I think. So uh, like Cameron Smith, uh, Patrick Reed is probably underpriced right now. And so uh, I find him at 80 to one in most books. And I think that's a really good number on a guy who's proven he can win a major championship at this type of place. The other uh, specialists, if you will, that you might want to look at guys who play their best golf on the West coast. I'll give you a few names, not really for outrights, but just guys who either grew up on the West coast or tend to play well out here. Uh, Sahith Figala, who's going to be an absolute star. Uh, this kid's going to be a top 10 golfer in the world within, in, within the next year or two. Uh, Andrew Putnam is a guy who played really well at the Memorial tournament two weeks ago. Now comes back to friendlier confines. Justin Suh, has played some very good golf on the West Coast. Patrick Rogers, I've heard, has played maybe more golf here than any other player in the field. Remember, most players have never seen this golf course before. Uh, some There are a few. Max Homa, John Rahm played the 2013 Pac-12 Championship here. Uh, that's a decade ago. Uh, there were a few others. Morikawa, Scheffler played the 2017 Walker Cup. That lasted a few days. Other than that, these guys haven't seen this golf course. They haven't been here before. So everyone is trying to figure that puzzle out right now. Yeah, but the, you you spoke to creativity. Are guys like Patrick Reed, Cam Smith, Jordan Spieth, are those the guys who you would say are the most mentally tough on the tour? Like if 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 they're if someone isn't as creative, but they're really mentally tough, will that make up for it for them? And if so, who are those players? very possible look number one on the mentally tough list right now strokes gain mental toughness if we want to turn this into a stat is brooks kepka i mean brooks kepka shows up at these major championships and I, I say it seemingly before every major championship that we sit here for a week beforehand trying to look at well i kind of like this stat and i kind of like these guys and it might all come down to all right let's start the pod who do you like brooks kepka why because he wins at major championships plays his best golf every single time boom that's it I mean, we, we don't have to spend 25 minutes breaking down the U.S. Open. We can spend 10 seconds and say, Brooks Kepka, he's really good at majors. He's playing this week. He's mentally tough. He's really good at golf. It might be him, and it very well could be him. I did a ranking for us at the Action Network uh, yesterday of the, the top uh, tier of the field, and I had Brooks Kepka at number five, and what I wrote about him was he might be the only guy I could list at number five and legitimately has a case of, uh, I, I feel like I'm getting uh, I'm getting doubted. I'm going to put a chip on my shoulder. I'll put this up in the refrigerator because uh, you guys are doubting me and don't think I can do it again. I, I wasn't trying to demean Brooks Kepka in any way, but um, uh, he certainly could go out and win again uh, this week because, yes, uh, mental toughness is going to be uh, a big key this week as well. All right. I want to I want to tell people who are listening. Uh, your top 25. And if anyone who's in the pool with me is listening, yeah, you can assume that some people on this list will be people that I choose, and I'm not afraid to reveal my secrets because I keep winning anyways. Cameron Smith, number one. Jordan Spieth, number two. Scotty Scheffler, number three. Patrick Cantlay, number four. Kepka, five. Finau, six. 40 to one right now. Um, uh, Xander Shoffley, seven. Patrick Reed, eight. Uh, Rombo, nine. Ryan Fox, Ryan Fox, number 10. Simon, well, I, 
Go ahead. What? What? Sobel? What? Say it. If you'd like me to list chalk, I'll list chalk. That's not what the Action Network is about. No, listen. By the way, no. By the way, don't don't be defensive. I was actually doing this for a reason because Simon might have a question about long shots. And I think it's interesting that you have Ryan Fox at 130 to one at number 10 before Rory McIlroy at 15 to one at number 11 or Justin Thomas at 50 to one number 12. So I was teeing up my friend Simon by using your very good content to do that. Yeah, Chad Simon. knows me so well. Jason, I just want long shots. I'm here. I love Brooks. That was incredible what we've seen, but I want crazy long shots. I would love to hear who you like for the long shots because I'm addicted to it. I think it was Hideki who I hit on, what was it, two years ago now? Um, what was that, the Masters he won? That was one of those where it's like, all right, if I can get 50 to one on a guy like Hideki, I need to form more, find more diamonds in the rough. So I'm addicted to it. Who's your favorite long shot for the U.S. Open this year? So first of all, Simon, you're talking to a guy who's hit Emiliano Grillo and Nick Taylor as long shots in two of the last three weeks. In between, I had Victor Hovland, but and he won, but he wasn't. Oh, I know. It's been three in a row. So <laughs> thank you, my I friend. I just wanted to point that out. Yes, you're welcome. Um, that said, when you're looking at long shots, I think it's interesting in golf because there are long shots who have win equity, and then there are long shots who uh, I think can finish in the top ten, make nice top ten props. Ryan Fox, a guy I really like this week. I think he's going to play some really good golf. Can he win a U.S. Open? I, I'm not so sure that he's ready to do that, even though uh, he's been around for a long time. He's won all over the world. I just don't think that he's going to win, but I love him for top 10 props. As far as long shots that can win, I mentioned Patrick Reed already. We know he can win a major championship. I think his price is much too uh, long in the marketplace. I, I would have priced him at somewhere in the 60 to 65 to one range. Instead, he's trading at about 80 to one right now. So I think that's a really nice price right around that number. And maybe even 85, 90 to one is Siwoo Kim. Siwoo Kim is a guy we've always known has a very high ceiling, but one that uh, doesn't always rear its head because uh, he'll win and then he'll go away for a year or so where he can that it's a bottomless floor. And so when he's not winning, he's shooting 79s and missing the cut. He is that has changed over the past year. He's now made 18 of 21 cuts this season. He's been top seven in three of his last six starts. We know the ceiling is still there. The floor has been elevated. What I always say about outright long shot plays is, look, if they finish second or they finish 156th, you lose the same amount of money. I want a guy who has that high ceiling as a long shot and can win. I think Siwoo Kim gives you that ceiling this week. Um, I do want to read your write-up for Ryan Fox because it is just funny. Uh, this is when an NFL team reaches for a third round projection in the middle of the first round and all the pundits are like, whoa. And then the guy turns out to be a very functional key player for a long time. It's a very good way to get me excited about Ryan Fox, not just now, but, you know, at the Travelers or something where they say some guys are taking the week off and Ryan Fox comes in and, you know, he tears the place up. Very well could happen. Ryan Fox, the only thing that has really broken his stride this year was the week after the Masters, played his first Masters, played pretty well. He's uh, finished top 30 in nine of his last 10 starts. After the Masters, he got pneumonia. So he went home, I believe back to New Zealand where he's from, and then his wife had a second kid. And so I, I'm hoping, and I talked to him about it, I was like, 
was the pneumonia gone before the kid arrived? He's like, yeah, I think I was okay. So, I mean, everything is okay in the Fox household. But uh, in all seriousness, just got his full PGA Tour membership. He had to play his way onto the PGA Tour this year. He was able to do that. He's got uh, a a family at home where he's got a a young baby that, you know, there's been a lot of, they call it the nappy factor, uh, where uh, right after a golfer has a kid or a second kid, all of a sudden it's like, you know, this weight lifted and they start playing better golf. Uh, I don't discredit that. And so uh, there's a lot of sort of uh, weight lifted from his shoulder. And it feels like a little bit of a free roll for him not to go too deep on Ryan Fox, but I like players when essentially they're not, they're not playing with pressure on them. They're playing with this nothing to lose attitude because, Hey, all I, all I can do is win some more. I, you know, uh, nothing's going to happen. That's going to hurt my career this week. Listen, by the way, it's not called uh, a weight being lifted. It's called, Holy fuck. I got a kid and I got to make a living. That's, that's what that is. And by the way, Ryan Fox, a shout out to my buddy, Josh in Chicago, who is on a tear as a golf better. And like every week he's texting me like his breakdowns and his legal pads of who he's betting on and the long shots. And he loves betting on golf. And uh, Ryan Fox feels like the kind of golfer my buddy Josh is going to go in on. So but I want to let you get back to work. Go and go and get, listen, I know you got a reservation to Dan Tana's. You got to get to Dan Tana's. Corner table. Is it good? We went past there yesterday. Is it worth Dude, going? Dan Tana's. It's like you go, you go for the vibe, man. It is like stepping into, you're talking about when you were talking about LACC and walking around and seeing the Beverly Hilton, like you walk into Dan Tana's and you feel like you are stepping into Hollywood glamour. It just I don't even remember the food. It's just a good vibe. Well, I can tell you. And first of all, I'm going to thank you uh, because you're picking up dinner tonight. I'm going out with Corner, <laughs> Raybon, and Trebby for dinner tonight. So Jesus I appreciate it, Jack. Thank you. That. Well, go to Dantana's. <laughs> have a good time. Uh, maybe someone will be listening to the podcast and they'll buy you a drink, which has happened to me in Simon before. But that is a dangerous crew. All I can tell you right now, Trebby, who just had a second kid, uh, and yourself, you are not going to last all night with Kerner and Raybon, and you don't want to know where they're going after Dantanis. Let's wrap it up, though. All right. Uh, from what I can, well, from what I can see, you like Cam Smith. You like Jordan Spieth. Uh, yep. We might like uh, Siwoo Kim as a long shot. We might like Patrick Reed as a mm-hmm. long shot. Correct. Uh, the one other player that I have bet in all full disclosure, I've bet those four already, and I put a little on Tony Finau at forty to one. Tony Finau was my guy about six months ago. Before I knew much about this golf course, he just fit the recent profile of U.S. Open champions. Uh, big, strong guy. You look at this used to be the the major championship that the Corey Pavins, the Jim Furyks, with the Lee Jansons could win. The short guys were accurate, kept it in the fairway and on the greens. Over the last seven or eight years, it's Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, John Rahm, Gary Woodland. Even last year, Matt Fitzpatrick, not a big dude. He looks like he's 12 years old, but a guy that had gained a lot of swing speed, gained some power going into that U.S. Open. And so I don't think we're going to see the same U.S. Open. It's just not the same setup that we've seen over the last seven or eight years. But Tony Finau fits the profile of guys we've recently seen win U.S. Opens. Just because at the beginning of the year, I was saying Tony Finau, even he's dropped a little bit in my ranking, but I don't want to get off of him because I've been on him for so long here. 
For even more U.S. Open betting content, check out our betting previews and our best bets episode on the Links and Locks podcast, also presented by our friends at Bet365 with our good friend Jason Sobel. Enjoy dinner tonight. You're welcome. Enjoy LACC. Enjoy the U.S. Open. Sobel, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Simon, we're going to transition. We're going to transition to your favorite podcast guest. Because every time Mike Leboff comes on, I see like the twinkle in your eye. And because he's talking about all these things that are interesting to you, we're going to talk a little bit about darts. You can tell him how you did in your darts. Uh, we're going to talk about game five of the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about previewing NHL draft. Um, ah, we got the Panthers and the Golden Knights. Leboff, welcome to the favorites. Leboff, host of the unbelievably popular Line Change, the hockey betting podcast for the Action Network, which, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of credit here. Not you, not Mitchell, not anybody else. Because we had you on before the season started and we promoted the podcast and the podcast had record numbers this year. Yeah, I would say that uh, all credit goes to you once again. Yeah, of course. Uh, and you you kept begging uh, for a hockey podcast on, on the Action Network channels. And I finally relented. Uh, so you were right on, on both fronts. Uh -huh. I've got my finger on the pulse of what the audience wants. Yeah, that's true. And, and I, you know what I think they want right now is uh, a little ashes talk for, for me and Simon. We've got uh, <laughs> cricket's cricket's best competition coming up. It's an ashes summer in, in Simon's native England. That's why I'm dressed like I am. I'm pulling for Australia. I'll be betting on Australia. They looked great. Can you uh, explain to people before we, before everybody just disengages from the podcast, because we're, we're <laughs> going to go from test cricket to darts and, and NHL. And when NHL is like- The big your, three. Your anchor leg, you know you're starting off with stuff that nobody gives a fuck about. But let's uh, explain to people what you are wearing uh, if they're not watching us on the YouTube. Yeah. Uh, well, I've got my my West Indies cricket hat on, which, you know, it's, it's not – I'm polling for Australia, but I, I like to – put West Indies and India uh, in the same bucket as Australia because they all want to beat England because Simon's England, uh, they colonized all these these places. And cricket was a way for them to beat their colonizers at something. That's why these countries all play cricket. Um, and the Ashes is England and Australia. It's every other year. So uh, the last one was in, in the Australian summer. So December 2021, that would be in Australia just absolutely kicked England's ass. It was not close at all. Um, but the, I mean, it's, it's different style of cricket there cause it's dry in England. It's, it's, it's wet and, uh, the conditions change. So it's, it's about to pick them. Uh, and just remember like this is five test matches. So five, five day matches, uh, and whoever comes out on top gets to take home an urn, which is the trophy. It's I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like this big, it's like the size of your hand that it's like the the opposite of the Stanley cup. Like if you put the ashes next to the Stanley cup, uh, it would be hilarious. And the reason it's called the ashes is because in the 1880s, an Australian writer, uh, Australia beat England in a test match. And he said that uh, the, the body of England cricket has been 
killed and the body's been cremated and the ashes have been sent back to Australia. And that's how this whole thing came about. And it's the most it's 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 the most bizarre sport to watch because nothing happens until something happens. It's like a court case just unfolding on 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 grass. Uh, and it's about who can cheat like a little bit better and everyone's hammered in the stands. It's it's going to be a lot of fun and, and uh, I hope everybody now now watches it. But it goes on for 7 days. That's the key to cricket. Five, so. five days, yeah. Five <laughs> yeah. five days, five different times. So it's it starts Friday and then it'll end July 31st. Now, Leeloff, do you know what the most famous cricket movie is in America? No. Days and Confused. <laughs> confused why because he's walking around <laughs> with that paddle? Yeah, just because of the paddle. That's that's yeah. as far as America goes with cricket, is uh, young kids can smack in the ass with uh, cricket paddles. You know, earlier today, I was talking to a buddy. and, <laughs> and You have no friends, Chad. I've got one. one. <laughs> it's my only friend left. And he was asking me something about betting. And I actually used Leboff as the example. Like there is a personality that is almost, they are so angry at anybody liking anything that is mainstream, but has no quirkiness, no character, no real emotional value. So they go to the extreme end to things like betting hockey or betting golf or betting darts or betting cricket and immerse themselves in it so much. And I need to know now that we have Leboff on the podcast and I'd forgotten he was coming on today, um, that where does that come from? Like, like why, why cricket instead of football? Why darts instead of NBA? Do you know what I mean? I think it's just more, you said it, it's like got more quirk to it. There's more substance to uh, something that has this, these kind of insane history to it rather than, uh, you know, just here's, here's a team that was invented. They're the Philadelphia Eagles. Why? Like, it's just because, well, there's a big city in Philadelphia. They needed a football team and here's (laughs) how they came about. Like Manchester United, like I'm a huge soccer fan too. Like these clubs came up because, they were either, you know, the, a factory worker uh, and their off day was Wednesday, right? There's a big city in England called Sheffield and one club is Sheffield United and they played on Sundays and the other team was Sheffield Wednesdays because those guys had off on Wednesday. So they would play their soccer on Wednesday, right? So those kind of stories you learn through and I, I want to keep going and learning more about those stories rather than, you know, hearing about Aaron Rodgers mundanely for 365 days a year. I don't really give a shit what Aaron Rodgers is doing uh, on like a Tuesday morning in New York city. But I would love to hear like about uh, you know, how the, why the biggest trophy in test cricket is this little urn. Uh, and the way I start learning about these sports is betting on them because you throw five bucks on a game and you're invested and you're watching. And then the next thing you know, you're doing it again and you're learning more and more and more. And, and the next thing you know, you're uh, you're geeked up for the ashes more than you are for, you know, game five of, the NBA finals or whatever happened last night, game six. Well, easy transition from Sheffield United, who's been around for what, 150 years to a Las Vegas Knights who've been around for, I don't know, five years. I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy in the hockey world. I I would love to get your view on this. The fact that we had a Panthers Vegas finals 
and it's been really good. I mean, honestly, I, I've really enjoyed these games. So I, I would love to know your view on just, you know, how hockey is right. We always talk about, I mean, I guess you could say the same with the NBA. It's like, if it's not the, the, if it's not the original six in hockey, who really cares? Right. That's, that's kind of the whole knock in hockey where it's like, you know, people stick their nose up with these new franchises and, I'll admit, I hate Vegas, especially as a hockey fan. I hate that this team came in. They cherry-picked all these players from these different teams, and here they are. Is, I mean, dude, they are so dominant, so good. Their goalie, Hill, has been unreal in these finals. Um, just, I mean, just looking at this, we're 3-1 in. Is there any hope for Florida Panthers, or are they just lucky to be here? Because, again, they're the eighth seed. I know in hockey it doesn't matter as much but you can really see the difference in talent level between them and Vegas. I mean, Vegas just looks just so complete. They don't have a weakness on their team. Their defense is good. They're, I mean, their offense is incredible. It, are we, are we literally seeing a team, the birth of a dynasty or is this a one hit wonder for Vegas? And, you know, they should enjoy this three, one lead they have right now. Yeah, they'll, they'll be good. I think they're like 14 or 16 to one to win the Stanley cup next year um, uh, on the early look. So, uh, but they, they're, their salary cap structure is, is bizarre. They always just kind of trade, you know, kick kick the can down the road and and bring in players that can help them immediate in the immediate uh, term rather than worry about anything in the future. And it's got them here. This is their second Stanley Cup final in six years. And crazy, uh, yeah. But the, I I I go back and forth on it. The NHL when they expanded in Vegas, they set the expansion draft up in a way that it wasn't just going to, you know, make them terrible. If if it felt like in in years past when other you know they fixed it, they wanted Vegas to be good. It felt like they wanted, yeah, but I mean Vegas they did it with Seattle good. too. It was the same rules, and they just didn't want these expansion markets. Like the NHL needs to succeed in new markets. It's, it's yeah. not like the NFL, right? Like where if the NFL opened, uh, you know, they put a team in Akron, Ohio, like that team <laughs> would be fine because they're in the NFL. Like they got the NFL shield to protect them. It's not the same in the NHL, uh, so. They they went with a different strategy and it's worked. Uh, the, the the Vegas fan base is awesome. Uh, the experience is great. So they're good. To answer your question, they're good. I think Florida is is always going to be live because you know it's a it's hockey. Uh, B this team's done it before to a better team to Boston in, in round one. Uh, but they do seem a little walking wounded. Matthew Kachuk sounds like his sep- shoulder is separated, and so if he does play, he's going to be playing on one arm and. He's their best player, one of the best players in the league. Uh, so losing him is a big deal. Uh, I do like Florida tonight, though, for, from a betting standpoint. Uh, you look at the last time these two teams played in Vegas, which was game two, eight days ago. The line closed minus 135-ish. It's minus 200 right now. Uh, right. I don't I don't think that, you know, any, any hockey player is worth 65 cents uh, to a betting line. He's not, uh, you know, some terrific quarterback for LSU or something, right? Like this is a, <laughs> an NHL player. Uh, this is not, not, not a situation like that. So I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. So I'll be betting Florida and then putting together a little uh, same game lottery ticket parlay to just in case it is the last game of the season. Uh, you got to go out with a bang, maybe win some, uh, some scratch, use that scratch to head over to England. Check out, check out one of the ma- uh, test matches. Uh, quickly. What will your, your, same game parlay B, but then I have a follow-up. Sure. Uh, three goal scorers. Uh, Michael Amadio on Vegas. He's like plus 460. Uh, Anton Lindell on Florida. He's five plus 550. 
and Alex Petrangelo on Vegas. He's seven to one. Uh, I think they're all they're all worth it. Simon just made all those bets. Uh, I, I honestly did. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting. I'm I'm. It's interesting to me that Simon is anti Vegas. I actually love that Vegas got so good so fast, and I think it's one of the few things the NHL has done right is making them being self-aware enough to know we better make sure these expansion teams, Vegas, Seattle are good fast because fans will not have patience and they will, they, they will spend their money elsewhere and those stadiums will sit empty. And I think, I think what Vegas did with the golden Knights helped get the Raiders there, helped get the A's there. It turned that town into a sports town that felt like the locals could rally. I don't think they're taking the Raiders the same way they are the Golden Knights because of, you know, the relocation, the Golden Knights are an original team, but I love the way the NHL handled it. I love the fact the Golden Knights have been good. I love the way Vegas has embraced them. We've off the NHL did something right here. Well, Vegas is a town that appreciates quirk too, right? Like there's whim to hockey and there's Dude, whim to every Vegas. Every time I go into a sports book, half the screens are on test matches. That's how much they appreciate quirk. Yeah. Yeah. If you get there early enough, they will be uh, this coming week and we'll be pulling for those Aussies. Um, uh, what can you tell us about? Uh, so you think Flora's going to win tonight? You put in your same game parlay of goal scores. Um, what should we be looking for for the NHL draft, where I believe the Chicago Blackhawks? have the number one overall pick. That's yeah. what I was going to say, Chad. It's easy to say all fixed. that as a Blackhawks fan. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, you, you can be happy for Vegas. You got your cup, whatever, was it 10 years ago against my Flyers? Three, three of I'm them. I'm a bitter you Flyers three fan. of them. Three cups. I'm, I'm bitter. I'm bitter, all right? Yeah. I got freaking Danny Breer running my team. I don't know what the hell is going on with the Flyers, but it's not hey, good. He's got, a, he's got the right idea with that team, though, I think. Yeah, like, tell that to his son. He's to... a little piece of shit. Yeah, oh boy! True. Yeah, his son. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, his son. That wasn't good. But um, <laughs> uh, the the NHL draft we were talking about before, right, Chad? Um, yeah, yeah. You want to talk like I? Those poor Blackhawks fans. Uh, three Stanley Cups in a decade, then have to endure two tough seasons, and now they get <laughs> the uh, the next Connor McDavid. Um, Seriously. Meanwhile, the one year the Islanders win the lottery. The guy that they pick just abandons ship. <laughs> when the going gets tough, John Tavares gets going somewhere else. Um, the uh, yeah, the draft will be fun. It's always fun to bet. Last year, uh, I hit uh, an eighteen to one winner on the the second overall pick with with our our great buddy, uh, uh, new great New Jersey Paisan Steve Petrella. He uh, the two of us hit Simon Nemich to to New Jersey uh, because. We knew that if Montreal picked the guy they eventually picked, which was Yara Slavkovsky, the Devils wouldn't take a center. They'd probably take a defenseman, and he was severely underrated by uh, the sports books, and, and that's what we'll look for here. So this is going to sound nuts, but the, the key to betting this NHL draft, because we know that Bedard is going to go to your beloved Blackhawks uh, first, is trying to figure out where Matvai Michkov, he's a little Russian star, um, we don't know if he's coming over when he's coming over or if his dad was found dead in a pond. I'm not kidding. Uh, a few months ago. So whenever very Russian, that, yeah, whenever, whenever you're dealing with uh, Russia, it's things get a little interesting. Uh, so a lot of teams he's 
I think, considered the second most talented player in the draft class, but there's so much risk to picking him. Um, so using him as kind of the wild card is is how you want to bet the draft. And I think that he, the team he he's going to end up going to is San Jose in the fourth spot. But that's not the bet I'm going to make. The bet I'm going to make is kind of based off that. It's Leo Carlson. He should be double digits at at the very least to go fifth overall to Montreal. They need a center. Carlson is projected by most most mock drafts to go second to Columbus, but I think that they're actually going to end up picking an uh, American center, Will Smith, uh, or excuse me, third to Columbus after um, Adam Fantilli goes to to Anaheim. That seems like a certainty. So it'll be Bedard, Fantilli, and then most people expect Carlson to go third to Columbus, but I actually think that they'll end up going with uh, the more finished product, which is this guy, Will Smith. Uh, because Columbus wants to compete next year. I don't think they want to spend another year developing players, uh, which means that Mitch Cobb and Carlson will go four or five in some combination. And and I'm going to bet that San Jose is the team that will embrace the risk of taking Mitch Cobb at four because they're still in the process of tearing things down and, and can be patient with a player like that. So um, that lands me on Leo Carlson to Les Habitants. Uh, the fifth overall pick it should be a good number so uh, when those start to pop up more widespread uh that that'd be the bet i'd, I'd hop on all right leboff i feel like we've covered everything we need to cover for the nhl until line change uh is back in its supremacy uh as the season begins again congrats congrats to me uh for so aggressively pushing the podcast uh and putting it on it's kind of setting the table for you and Mitchell to to do something with it. Yeah, like, like once again, it was a a master class in in being a being a a media mogul. Uh, and Matt, Nick, Martin, and I thank you for for setting such a good example. Yeah, you know what I think? Uh, as the great Wayne Gretzky once said, "I like to uh, skate where the puck is going, not where this not not where the puck is." Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Simon. Oh, Simon. For Simon Hunter, I am Chad Millman. We both want to remind you that the Favorites podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer. Bet $1 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets. And Bet365 is now live in Iowa. So for new users in the Hawkeye State, you can get an even bigger sign-up offer, bet $1, and get $365 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. I want to thank Jason Sobel from LA. I want to thank Mike Leboff from Long Island. I want to thank Charlie DeSterco for producing us on the YouTube. Matt Mitchell, as always, you can download us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your, your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars. Say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. Until next time, love you. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.